Oh man, we get to keep talking DeMond Brothers. That's right, last week we started with their futile attempt at justifying prayers to the saints, those who have passed on before us, and they are trying to boil the frog. We talked about how their arguments are pretty much garbage, right? Oh yes, saints can intercede. Bible doesn't say they intercede for us the way that the Roman Catholic Church says that they intercede for us, but yes, they can. And then, uh, yes, as a matter of fact, they can appear, or apparently do, influence the trajectory of God's decisions here on earth, particularly with Christophanes, appearances of our Lord Christ, who, when he goes to the past, seems to still have a human nature that he took on at the Incarnation. Okay, sure, sure. But they keep trying to slip in these dumb little arguments about, oh, if you, if you can't pray to the saints, if you can't ask for their intercession from heaven, you can't ask your friend to pray for you. Really, um, okay, Mr. DeMond, except that my friend can hear me when I give him a phone call. My friend can talk to me and see me and can mentally process my request. Somebody who is at the throne room of God because they're dead, you know, their body was blown to smithereens, or they died of old age, or they got super cancer and passed away very suddenly or something, that individual, we have no guarantee that they can hear all of these prayers sent up toward them. However, this doesn't stop Mr. DeMond from continuously taking his foot, putting it into his mouth, and continuing to try to boil the frog. It's really embarrassing. Because they'll say something reasonable, like uh, the book of Revelation or Apocalypse shows us how the prayers of the saints intercede in heaven before the altar of God. Yes, that's true. Does not include any sort of prescription for me to pray to them. Or, after death, the prophet Samuel appeared to King Saul. Okay, so, <laughs> that doesn't tell me I have to pray to the saints. But they'll say something reasonable and then try to use that reasonable thing to get you to believe in something unreasonable. And they just scattershot insert this crap into their book in the hopes that maybe you just aren't thinking about it while you read. Here's from this next section on the saints. After his death... A high priest was seen interceding for the Jews. Really, Mr. DeMond? Let's see where in uh, the Bible that is. The next example we will look at comes from 1 Maccabees chapter 5. This was a book which the Protestants removed from the Bible when they split from the Catholic Church. The comments given in the section on purgatory demonstrate that the books of the Maccabees are part of the true Old Testament. This is proven by the fact that the New Testament quotes from the Septuagint, which contains the books of Maccabees and the others which the Protestants reject. Okay, this book is entitled, The Bible Proves the Teachings of the Catholic Church. 
nobody in any church body declared the Deuterocanon, as it's called, or the Apocrypha, which includes the books of Maccabees, to be scripture until the Council of Trent. Meaning that most of Christendom's history includes not recognizing this book as divinely inspired. So no, we didn't take it out of the Bible. The Roman Catholic Church put it in the Bible. Besides, the good old Doc Martin Luther translated the Deuterocanon. He put it in the Luther Bible. He did include a note that said these books are beneficial, but they are not inspired. You do not have the promise of infallibility, especially on account of the numerous historical errors there, the geographical errors, the weird linguistic things that they do, um, interesting stories about Daniel making a poison biscuit and feeding it to a dragon, all sorts of stuff like that. But the problem is that just because this was in the Septuagint doesn't mean that it is legit. All right? And I, for one, am going to disagree with Maccabees in particular on account of all manner of things that these people put into their book that is dumb. Hey, um, Spartans, did you know that you're actually, um, descended from Abraham? Mr. Spartans, could you come and kill people for us, Spartan guys? Come on. It's silly. There's a lot of good history in there. But look, just because something's in the Septuagint doesn't mean that it is inspired automatically. Yes, Christ puts his stamp of approval on various passages in the Septuagint, but it's also got scribal additions. It's also got things in it that the Roman Catholic Church rejects. Case in point, Genesis 3, verse 15. The Roman Catholics love to say, she shall crush the head of the serpent, because that's how Jerome translated it. In the Septuagint, it's, he shall crush the head of the serpent. More properly, he shall lie in wait for ambush against the serpent. The Greek is a little funky there. But the point still stands. You guys, Mr. Demond... Mr. Demond's brother, Other Demond, you guys reject things from the Septuagint. I get to reject the Deuterocanon. I'm not saying that those books are inspired. But please, in your book called The Bible Proves the Teachings of the Catholic Church, go ahead, make this reach. Embarrass yourselves by saying, I'm, I'm going to pull books that you don't recognize and say that that proves my theology. And what passage do they bring up? They bring up the vision of Onias, a high priest who had died. 2 Maccabees 15 verse 12. Now the vision was in this manner. Onias, who had been high priest, a good and virtuous man, modest in his looks, gentle in his manners, and graceful in his speech, and who from a child was exercised in virtues, holding up his hands, prayed for all the peoples of the Jews. After this, there appeared also another man. Then Onias answering, dot, 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 dot. Of course, the Demond brothers love to do this because they, they don't like things that are inconvenient for them. We'll skip that for now. Continuing on with the quote, 
This is he that prayeth much for the people and for all the holy city, Jeremiah the prophet of God. Whereupon Jeremiah stretched forth his right hand and gave to Judas a sword of gold. Now, the DeMond brothers are not going to understand something about hermeneutics. Let's see what they say. This fascinating passage, which was removed from the Protestant Bible, relates the vision of the deceased high priest Onias. After his death, he was seen holding out his hands and interceding for the Jews by his prayers. Onias also presents the deceased prophet Jeremiah who gives a sword of gold to Judas Maccabeus. Judas Maccabeus is not to be confused with the traitor of the New Testament, Judas Iscariot. This passage is therefore another clear proof of the intercession of deceased saints and the effectiveness of their prayers. I love how mad they are at Protestants that they have to bring up again this um, weird idea that we took books out of the Bible. But also... Um, where is the command, even from this particular part of the Deuterocanon, for me, a Christian, living in the year of our Lord 2023, going on 2024, where is the command for me to pray to these saints? It just shows a saint, supposedly, praying before God in heaven. There's no ought. You're giving me an is, you're not giving me an ought. Even if this was fully inspired, even if the Holy Spirit came to us all and told us in our heart of hearts and we found pure evidence for First and Second Maccabees to be 100% true, where is the prescription for a modern day Christian to pray to dead saints? But interestingly enough, they're going to change gears here. They don't want you thinking about description versus prescription. Saints praying in heaven versus, you know, the utter and complete lack of any sort of biblical basis for you and I to pray to dead people rather than, you know, God, whom Jesus tells us to pray to. <laughs> no, they got to change gears real quick to angels. And this is where things get interesting and really dumb. Citing 1 Chronicles 21, verse 18, 2 Kings 1, verse 3, and Acts 8, 26, they proclaim the significance and frequency of angels in God's plan. As further support for the Bible's teaching on the intercession of saints, we must consider the Bible's teaching on the intercession of angels. Throughout the Bible, we see that God uses his angels. There are literally dozens of passages one could quote. He uses them to deliver his messages, to give out his instructions, to deliver his justice, and as an answer to prayers. Hmm. Let's see where they're going here. God answers prayers by his angels. Numbers 20, verse 16, And when we cried unto the Lord, he heard our voice and sent an angel. Isaiah 37, 15 through 20 and 36. And Ezekiah prayed to the Lord, saying, dot, dot, dot. And now, O Lord our God, save us out of his hand, dot, dot, dot. 
And the angel of the Lord went out and slew in the camp the Assyrians a hundred and eighty-five thousand. God answers prayers by sending his angels. That's clear. Okay. So should you pray to angels, guys? Is there any command in scripture that tells you to go pray to St. Michael or to St. Gabe? No. No, there isn't. And uh, watch how horribly they botch Bible here. Angels are also implored, beseeched, and prayed to. The communication and intercession of angels on behalf of God is so frequent, so natural, so intertwined with God's plan, as dozens of passions show, that angels are not only sent by God, but they are beseeched and entreated by men. Angels are asked, they are implored by the people of God for answers and for assistance in their temporal and spiritual needs. Citing Judges 6, verses 12 through 13, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with thee, O most valiant of men. And Gideon said to him, I beseech thee, my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why have these evils fallen upon us? Okay, check this. First off, 99% of the time, the word, the angel of the Lord, that phrase, that's talking about Jesus. It's talking about God, because the angel of the Lord is identified as God over and over and over again. Hmm. So, chances are Gideon was talking to God, probably Jesus. This is what you would call a Christophany. But that said, even if this is just some rando angel, Gideon talks to him because the angel's right there in front of him. Nowhere does the Bible say, pray to angels that you can't see. Pray to angels that you can't hear, that aren't right in front of you, manifested in a way that your pitiful human eyes can observe. This is a leap, Mr. DeMond, and you're leaping right off of a cliff, back into Bible-scented paganism. Ah, but we continue. Hosea or Hosea 12, 3 and 4. Yea, he, Jacob, had power over the angel and prevailed. He wept and made supplication unto him. So the Bible teaches that angels not only deliver God's messages, meet out his justice, are sent as an answer to prayers, but they are prayed to as well. This is not because the angels are God, of course but because the angels are powerful and supernatural servants of the Most High, who have a close relationship with him in heaven. Dude, the Bible declares that the angel whom Jacob wrestled was God. Jacob wrestled with God. The angel of the Lord is God. So when Jacob prays to and makes supplications to the angel of the Lord, he's praying to God, not an angel. You understand that, pal? Anyway, Jesus says that saints shall be as the angels of God. 
Matthew 22, verses 29 and 30, Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God, for in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. Jesus teaches that the saints of God in heaven are as the angels. What Jesus says here not only applies after the final resurrection, but to the saints in heaven now. For in the same chapter, Jesus goes on to speak of the deceased, just men, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as living, Matthew twenty-two thirty-two. The version of this passage in Luke's Gospel brings out this truth even more equal, saying, Neither can they die any more, for they are equal unto the angels, and are the children of God, being the children of the resurrection. So the saints in heaven are as the angels. Do angels mete out God's justice? Yes. Do angels answer prayers on behalf of God, which are sent to heaven? Yes. Do angels receive supplication in prayer? Yes. Therefore the saints of Jesus do all of those things. Wow, what a stretch. So, yes, angels can and have killed people. Do angels answer prayers on behalf of God? Well, God can use angels to answer prayers. Do angels receive supplication in prayer? No. The capital A angel of the Lord, aka Jesus, receives supplication in prayer from us, not angels. If you pray to Gabriel, the angel, do you know what he's going to hear? Probably nothing. And he would probably just get mad at you for that. This is why when people bow down to angels. In the book of Revelation, St. John does this in Revelation chapter 19. And the angel says, what the hell are you doing, pal? Quit that. Worship God. You know what you do to a God? You pray to him. You know how I know this? Because Jesus says, pray to God. This is how we get the Lord's prayer, which isn't aimed at Michael or Gabriel or any of the seraphim or cherubim. Give me a break, bro. And no, saints in heaven do not mete out God's justice. They don't. Do you know why? Because St. John in Revelation talks about what the saints do in heaven. They're near God. They're singing his praises. They pray to him. They ask for him to mete out justice. They're not agents of that justice themselves. They are not agents of answering prayers. We know what they do in heaven. It's in Revelation. So give me a break. Miss me with this idea that Christ's saying they are as the angels of God in heaven in a passage that's talking about marriage. And here is why they are not going to be married. Here, the DeMond brothers are basically saying, oh, no, dude. Oh, pfft. No, we're, we're totally all about saying that Enoch became the Metatron and like people just become actual angels and do actual angel stuff. Yeah, great job. You just denied what scripture said to totally pwn the prots or something. My goodness. This is a book that says the Bible proves the teachings of the Catholic Church and here they are demonstrating that the Catholic Church is directly contradicting the Bible. It's embarrassing. And I just love the implication here that the DeMond brothers would put their stamp of approval on ceremonial magicians doing black magic that invokes angels. 
That's what Enochian magic is. That's about half of like the greater key of Solomon. Oh my goodness, the Renaissance black magicians out there, they loved to say, oh, I'm just invoking angels, bro. This is totally Christian, man. Which, of course, it wasn't. It was satanic the entire time. They might say that they're trying to get Raphael to help or whatever, but it's really demonic. You shouldn't be invoking angels to mete out God's justice for people you don't like. What the Demond Brothers is saying is something that not even the Roman Catholic Church goes so far as to say. Why? Because the Roman Catholic Church tells you, hey, go pray to the saints asking them to pray for you. So what are we doing here? Are the Demond Brothers just black magic dudes? Anyway, uh, another flub of scripture. The Bible describes St. John the Baptist as God's angel. To complete the point in the comparison between angels and saintly men, one should note that Jesus describes St. John the Baptist as the angel who was prophesied to prepare his way. Matthew 11.10 For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger, or angelos, before thy face, who shall prepare thy way before thee. John the Baptist was described as God's angel, angelon in Greek, because both angels and saints act as God's messengers. They are an avenue for his instructions, his graces, and for heaven's answers to prayers. They looked at the Greek word, which means messenger, and assumed that means that there's like no actual ontological distinction between a human being and angel as species. So freaking silly, man. It's like the only difference between a human being and an angel, like time, or having had a birth with a material body in the case of a human being. Because again, if that's the case, then you're getting into Enoch magic, worshipping the Metatron, because Enoch supposedly became an angel. <laughs> now, the book of Colossians tells us to avoid the worship of angels. Now, you tell me, if I'm invoking angels on account of their mighty power to get them to do favors for me, and I want to honor them, because, of course, they cite 1 Corinthians 11, verse 12 as a case for uh, women to be subservient to angels by having a, quote, power or veil over her head because of the angels. If you're doing all of that, that's worship, and St. Paul tells you not to do it. Don't worship angels. Brother Peter DeMond, you really should reevaluate your belief system because I don't see much of a difference between this and Aleister Crowley. Except, you know, he, his magic system involved a lot of masturbation with one's genitals. You like to do mental masturbation. That seems to be the only difference here. And, like, if you were to summarize what their argument here is, it's... Well, saints pray for you while they're in heaven, so you should pray to those saints. And angels are, like, super cool, and you can pray to angels whenever you want. It's free, and they do stuff for you when you pray to them, right? So you should pray to angels. And because saints are, like, basically angels in heaven... 
you should pray to saints the same way you would pray to an angel. And literally nothing in this argument shows me where the Bible tells me I should pray to angels. Nowhere is there a positive command. And if I sound like a broken record, it's because these guys keep bringing up these terrible, terrible points. Yes, the saints in heaven make supplication on behalf of the church. Yes, in fact, angels are kind of a big deal. We Protestants, I will admit, do not appreciate angels enough. They're probably pretty overworked. I hope God gives them some excellent dental plans. But at the same time, neither of those things, neither of those statements of fact lead to a prescription where I, as a Christian, should go pray to these people. Nowhere. Nowhere, not one bit. If you want to tell me that the Bible proves the doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church, you also have to show me where the Bible proves the praxis of the Roman Catholic Church. Lex orandi, lex credendi, and vice versa. The way that we pray, the way that we worship, is the way that we believe. And the way that we believe is the way that we worship. Case closed. If your church shows you telling people in your confessionals to go pray to X, Y, or Z saints, or if your priest urges people from the pulpit to go make supplication to Saint Raphael or whatever, the angel, then that's telling me quite a lot about what you believe. Your practice and your prayers, your practice and your beliefs are fundamentally inseparable. So, if you're going to tell me that the Bible is putting its stamp of approval on your practices and your doctrine, you need to show me where that is explicitly stated in the text. None of this goofy typology stuff, none of this wishy-washy, well, saints pray for us in heaven so we can pray to the saints. No, 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 no. Show me a clear and direct command from God. If you can't do that, then the Bible is not proving your doctrines. Simple as, fam. Next week, we're going to get into more of this. Oh yes, I thought this was going to be a two-parter, but just wait till you hear what they have to say about statues and pictures and stuff. I wonder if they're going to go full Greek Orthodox and tell me i got to start smooching them. Actually, no, I really hope they don't. Until then. Our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and Amen.